Welcome to Sunday School Dropouts, the podcast where an ex-Christian and a non-believing sort of Jew read all the way through the Bible for the first time. My name is Nico Bakulich. And I'm Lauren O'Neill. And we're about to get biblical. Let's get biblical. First of all, we gotta lay down some friggin' knowledge on you. (laughs) Such as, I am the ex-Christian, I was raised a Presbyterian, I taught Sunday school, I sang in the youth group worship band, and I am now an atheist. And I'm the non-believing sort of Jew. Also, this is not a Christian Bible study podcast. And it's not appropriate for children. And also, we're married. Mm-hmm. So if you're like, hey, those people seem to have good chemistry, it's because we both majored in chemistry. And completely unrelated to that, we're married. Mm-hmm. Neither of us majored in chemistry. Neither of us has taken chemistry since like freshman year of high school. In any case... I'm reading the New International Version of the Bible. And I'm reading the NRSV. And we are deep in the Bible, pretty much as deep as you can we possibly be. We are so be. deep that we're at the end of it. Mm-hmm. We're on the very last book of the Bible, Revelation. Just up front, we do want to remind you that is the end of the canonical Bible. It is not the end of this podcast. We already have super cool stuff cooked up for a little mini season and for a full length season three. And uh, you don't need to worry about some idiots talking about the Bible going away. You you will still have idiots talking about the Bible at your leisure whenever you want. Although, on a programming note, it's very endearing to me the anxiety that we've received about people fearing for the end of our show. Yes. I'm like, oh, maybe it, maybe it does mean something, this strange ritual where we go and talk into cans yes. for a couple hours a week. We do, of course, record on tin cans that mm-hmm. are connected by a piece of string. So, Revelation, shall I get into some fast facts? Yes, let's fast fact it. So it is Revelation singular, not Revelations <laughs> oh, great. plural. You're going to get pedantic about it. This is a it. great pedantic fact. That you can pull out to annoy people at any time. It's stupid, though, because it, it the book does contain multiple revelations. Yes, but in Greek, it's titled Apocalypsis. Mm, that's a great name. Singular. We now use the word apocalypse to mean the end of the world because of this very book. But in Greek, it actually just means revelation, as in a vision that God gives to you. Mm-hmm. Um, when we did episodes on the apocalypse of Peter and the apocalypse of Paul... Those were not about the end of the world. They were about visions of heaven and hell. Mm -hmm. Um, Because only one apocalypse book made it into the New Testament, we don't have to call it the apocalypse of John or the revelation of John. We just call it revelation. Mm. Um, The author says his name is John, and this was traditionally thought to be the apostle John, who also supposedly wrote the gospel of John and first through third John. Um, Of course, he didn't write those other books either but for this book in particular that's like more contested than usual Mm -hmm. for these uh, sorts of traditions and so the author of revelation is often referred to as john the revelator or john John the revelator or john of patmos because Mm -hmm. he says he's on the island of patmos um and that's to distinguish him from john the apostle but some people do think that it was john the apostle but that's not it's just wrong yeah it's not like true in terms of like facts but Lots of people think it. Um, So if you accept that this isn't the Apostle John, then this is actually one of the very few Bible books that probably is written by the person who it says it's written by. Like it is probably written by John of Patmos. We just don't know who that is. Right. Um, Probably written between the years 81 and 96, because that is when 
Domitian or Domitian was the Roman emperor. And there are, I guess, explicit probably, references to well, him or something like that. they're certainly not explicit. There's perhaps some implicit references to mm. him, um, which we'll get into more later. But I do want to say before we really get into the the meat of it and the gristle mm-hmm. and the bone, uh, the tendons, the uh, stomach, the liver. You're bad at this. You're uh, bad at meat. <laughs> I'm bad at what? You're bad at meat. Oh, at meat. Yeah, you're right. So obviously Revelation has had a big impact on pop culture. Mm -hmm. And most of our listeners will be familiar with at least a little bit of the imagery. And nowadays, the the mainstream popular interpretation is like, it's about the end of the world Mm -hmm. and what's going to happen on this grand cosmic judgment day. If you look at it in historical context, the author was definitely talking at least partially, about actual political events that were happening within his lifetime. You know, we saw this in, lo- like, lots of other prophets in the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. So, you know, like, in the book of Daniel, when they're talking about a giant statue that's made of four different types of metal, they're not saying, like, a literal giant statue made of four different types of metal is going to appear. They're saying, you know, these four different kingdoms have reigned over the Israelites, but... Soon God will punish them and he'll restore Israel. Mm-hmm. So like it, it's also making predictions about the future. It's, it's also saying there's going to be this grand cosmic judgment day, but it's also like just about normal real life stuff. So that's probably the same thing going on in Revelation. Like it probably is talking about the end of the world, but it's also talking about like the Roman emperor is persecuting Christians and stuff like that. Sure. Um, of course, driverless cars. Yes. Uh, RFID chips. Yeah. Yeah. Those are all canonical in the book of Revelation. And the thing is, of course, the further you get from when it was written, the less sense those allusions make to people. Mm-hmm. 200 years on, people don't remember who the emperor was at that time that, you know, they don't get. Right. They don't see that. They don't understand how clever it is. Right. Because it's actually really smart and not right. bad. So people start coming up with different interpretations you know, as time goes on. So, oh, it's not really about the Roman Empire. It's just about the universal struggle between good and evil. Or it's about, like, he predicted the Crusades or some shit. I don't know. And uh, then eventually we get to the view that's mainstream today, which is that it's not really about, like, real life stuff at all. Mm -hmm. Um, It's just, like, only about the future, Judgment Day. And that is a pretty recent view that mainly developed in America hmm. among evangelicals. It's not like part of Catholic doctrine. You don't find it in like older Protestant hmm. doctrine. It's mainly an evangelical thing that started in America. It's spread elsewhere because evangelicalism has unfortunately spread elsewhere. Makes sense. Um, but it's like, it's a pretty new phenomenon. So shall we get into it? I'm, d- I'm excited to. There's nothing I'd rather be doing right now. It's a, it's a lovely evening. It's you, raining. You can hear just the slightest hint of rain upon the roof. I can't hear it. I have headphones on and I'm listening to your voice. But there's just nothing I'd rather do than sit here and talk, talk about, about the, the Bible, Bible with you and several people, at least. That might or might not have downloaded this audio file. So, chapter one starts off by saying, this is a vision that was sent to John by God via an angel Mm -hmm. so listen up there's actually going to be like i don't know fucking 500 angels that are involved in this vision but 
Yeah, the definition of angel feels pretty loose in this. Yes. Um, John says he had this vision when he was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus, which could mean he is just uh, he was just preaching at the church that's located on Patmos. Mm -hmm. Or it has also been interpreted to mean that he was exiled to Patmos by the Romans for being a Christian. Oh, I see. Uh, and he starts off by saying, you know, on the Lord's Day, I was in the spirit. Mm-hmm. That means he was trash. I know. Yeah. So it's like, I mean, I guess it means like, oh, I was like meditating and like praying and mm-hmm. whatever. But it does sound like a really good euphemism for getting drunk. It was the Lord's Day and I was, you know, a bit in the spirit. In the spirit. And I was staggering home <laughs> from a really good session at church. So while he's meditating or binge drinking or whatever, he hears a voice like a trumpet that commands him to write down what he hears and send it to the seven churches in Asia, which by Asia they mean what is now Turkey. Mm -hmm. He turns around and he sees God in human form, sort of, uh, dressed in a a long robe with white hair, uh, eyes like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. That'd be cool, rushing waters, but like speaking. Just like... Wait, yeah, exactly like that. Who I've never been outdoors be like, before. I'm sorry. Who wouldn't be overwhelmed with awe at this end of... <laughs> I was really betting on my Foley work being better than that, but it was a it was a poor bet, and I lost. You've really let me down mm-hmm. in a big way. When Jesus is introduced, not Jesus, but they are I talking mean, about Jesus. God, but also Jesus. Whatever. Shut up for a second. Yeah. When Jesus is introduced... No, you shut up. I thought about it, and you shut up. Uh, he's described in the intro as Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. Oh, wow. God, I missed that. Firstborn of the dead? Firstborn of the dead. That's an awesome title. Totally. I don't know exactly what that means. I mean, I guess he's the first person who's come back from the dead. Firstborn of the dead. Born from deadness. Wow. I think you nailed it. That's really cool. Um, um, but one thing I wanted to point out when John spins around to yeah. see, to see, who the voice is that, that's telling him all this stuff at the beginning. First thing he notices, seven golden lampstands. Mm-hmm. Then, in the midst of the lampstands, <laughs> he saw somebody that looks like Jesus. He saw God, yeah. I like that, I like that he... The lampstands like, take priority. First he's like, whoa, seven lampstands. <laughs> Never seen this many lampstands before. God, they're gorgeous. Now, who's that? Who's <laughs> <laughs> that guy? Uh, God is also holding seven stars in his right hand. Mm-hmm. Which is, I don't know how you do that, but... You can't imagine that God can hold seven stars in his right hand. I don't know. Are they floating like fucking dragon balls? Probably. Okay. <laughs> okay. They're floating like dragon balls. <laughs> um, And God says basically like, okay, these lampstands, which impressed you more than I meant to, are the seven churches that you need to write to. And the stars are the angels of those churches, uh-huh. which I guess is just like a guardian angel type deal. Yeah. Um, And then... The next several sections are little mini epistles that are that are slipped in here like a pill in a pill pocket. We we don't they're boring. I mean, yeah, I'm sure so if we close read them, we could find some interesting stuff. But the language is kind of nice, but it's like it's seven mini. Yeah, exactly. Seven mini letters to, to seven churches. There are shout outs. There yeah. are promises for redemption. There are finger wags. It's, you know, it's just like, hey, church in Ephesus, you guys are doing really great, but you got a couple heretics who are saying, you know, X, Y, Z. So, you know, got to 
get rid of those guys and then like hey sardis uh your church is doing pretty bad and you're doing a bunch of sins and uh i expect you to shape up mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. but everybody i assume skips this part because they want to get to a section where something is described as having 10 heads yes and we will get to that section but first we got to move on to the part of the vision where john is now in front of the throne in heaven and sitting on the throne is one who had the appearance of jasper and carnelian mm. And a rainbow resembling an emerald encircled the throne. I've got some very uh, experimental colors happening here. Some avant-garde colors. Um, Also, there's thunder and lightning coming from the throne. Mm -hmm. There are 24 elders and 24 thrones around the main throne. And guess what else is in front of the throne? Uh, Seven flaming torches. Seven fucking lampstands. But now, instead of representing the seven churches of Asia, they represent the seven spirits of God or the sevenfold spirit, which, what the fuck? I thought we had a trinity, not a septity, mm. not a heptity. Septunity? Squamptity. Mm-hmm. <laughs> also, now we're getting to the juicy stuff because also around this throne are the four living creatures. A lion, an ox, an eagle, and something with a face like a man, but it doesn't describe its body. <laughs> well, it also says they're full of eyes in front and behind. Yes, they ha- they all have six wings and are covered in eyeballs, including under the wings, it specifies. Fucking trigger warning for trypophobia, Jesus Christ. Are full of eyes all around and inside. I'm not sure how John would know that just to look at them. Ugh. And day and night they never stop saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Diving deeper into the juice, the next section is called the scroll and the lamb. So now John sees... One thing I want to point out. Oh, yeah. He's abandoned the conceit that... uh, Or the author has abandoned the conceit deployed in the first scene where they go around and then explain what all of the shit represents. He'll kind of... uh... He does it very Pick that theme up very occasionally when he feels like it. But when I first started this, I was like, oh, great. This is going to be one of the ones where it's just like... The eyes are, represent this, and oh. the four beasts are each one of the four whatevers. Like, there was one of those apocalypses, apocryphal apocalypses where they, like, went line by line yeah. and explained what, yeah. what, what this meant. But then immediately, stuff starts to get weird, and I looked at the text for guidance, and I get nothing. Yeah. That's what makes Revelation so interpretable in so many different ways. To the degree that I would love to just, like go through, pick each one of these symbols and be like, here are the 10 top interpretations for this. Mm -hmm. But it would take forever. But there really are like, there's like a top 10 for each image. You know, people have interpreted in so many different ways. Um, So, okay, so we've got the scroll, the the guy on the throne, the Jasper man. Mm -hmm. Jasperman. Jasperman. Jasper Jasperman. His name is Jasper Carnelian, (laughs) which is a great fake name. He's holding a scroll in his right hand and it's sealed with seven seals and uh this idea of the seven seals repeated a lot in pop culture Mm -hmm. in such a way that like for a long time i didn't really get what the image was um because it's always like in movies it's always like oh we like open this safe that's like we just broke the first seal right or you open a door or whatever yeah but i mean the image is just like it's a scroll and it has seven wax seals on it Mm -hmm. like lined up next to each other like 
you used to use for envelopes or scrolls to make sure that nobody read it or that, you know, the messenger didn't read it. Right. If the recipient gets it and the seal is still sealed, then great. So this one has seven seals. Top secret information. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're going to break all these seals. Well, they would like to, but they can't They can't find anyone who can. Yes, um, that's true. And this is a big problem. Uh, nobody is worthy on heaven or on earth or under the earth to open the scroll and even look inside it. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Oh, it's okay, buddy. It's okay. It's okay. Um, in fact, like the angels start comforting. The, the angels basically are like, it's okay, buddy. We'll find somebody. And they do. And it's the Lion of Judah, but he appears as a slain lamb with seven horns and seven eyes. Who could it be? Mm-hmm. I do believe. Your buddy and mine. Jesus fucking Christ. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the dead lamb with seven horns and seven eyes. Beautiful I'm image. really struggling to put that together in my brain. Isn't it? You know, you're, you're just like, when I think of like the beauty of salvation, I mainly think of like a mutant dead zombie lamb. And again, this is going to echo our Ezekiel episodes, but like, what do you think of when you think of seven eyes like how are they configured oh yeah like well like a a spider's probably right i mean a spider has eight so oh yeah spiders are like in two stacks right i think they're in like three stacks three stacks yeah aren't they there's like a long row and a short row or something i don't know that's two stacks well i think there's like two two short and one long or something i don't know anyway but so neither i neither i nor you can come up with a convincing way to organize seven eyes sure you can just Put them in, uh, you know, uh, th- four, three, no, three, two, two. Yeah, two, three, two. Is that seven? Yeah, that's seven. Two, three, two. I That doesn't conjure an image in my mind, <laughs> the idea of two, three, two. Whatever. This freaking You're lamb bad. You're bad opens, at eyes. You're bad at eyes. This guy opens the damn scroll. All the creatures on earth and in the sea and under the earth. Everyone's singing about the lamb and how he's worthy to open the scroll. Bam, he breaks the first seal. And then for the first four seals, each time he breaks one, one of the four horsemen of the apocalypse, as they are now called, Mm -hmm. appears. You've undoubtedly heard of these before. You may or may not remember the callback to different colored horses in the vision in Zechariah, Mm. where they're they're not exactly like this. They don't correspond exactly, but it seems clear that the author had read Zechariah. Um, so the first horse is a white horse, and the rider is conquest, sometimes called pestilence. That's I guess, confusing. I don't know what pestilence means because it doesn't mean the same thing as conquest to me. Um, the rider has a bow and arrows, and he's like authorized to go conquer things. Right. Uh, the red horse is war. The rider has a sword. And the power to take peace from the earth. Mm. Uh, Black horse is famine. Ryder has a pair of scales in his hand because he's a Libra, of course. (laughs) Um, And because he's like rationing out food for people during a famine. And uh, then the last horse is the pale horse, which is somehow different from white. I've never understood that my whole life. Um, And the rider is named Death. And... Hades is following close behind him because, sure, why not throw in a Greek god here? That makes sense. This this organization of labors confuses me a lot. 
why is there conquest and war? I understand. So war goes and makes people fight each other, I guess. Yeah. But then conquest actually just conquers things. I guess. I think maybe it's like, well, maybe they like lead to each other, right? So like when someone tries to conquer something, then that leads to war, maybe. And then war leads to famine and famine leads to death. Maybe that's, that doesn't make a shit of sense. <laughs> well, regardless, death and Hades were given power over a fourth of the earth to kill by sword, famine, and plague, and by the wild beasts of the earth. So they're in charge? I don't know. It doesn't, I, it doesn't make sense to me either. Fifth seal, uh, John sees all the martyrs who have died for their faith, and they each get a white robe. And they're told to just wait a little while. You'll be avenged soon. At that point, at this point, I started to get a little confused because I thought we were, you know, getting the beginning of the end of the world going. Yeah. But then he cracks the fifth seal and it's actually just like a bonus for martyrs. Yeah. It's, it's just take a little break for, you know, say hey to the martyrs. Mm-hmm. Slow it down for slow yeah. it down for a song and then, and then, we're then gonna, build it back up for yeah, the, yeah. the conclusion. We're okay. going to get back to You the, know what? That actually makes perfect sense. And I'm the one who's relief. done. Comic yeah. relief. Yeah. Sixth seal. Earthquake. Sun turns black, moon turns red, mm-hmm. um, and the stars fell to earth as late figs drop from a fig tree when shaken by a strong wind. Beautiful. Although I think it's like this is the first time of like five or six times we'll see the stars fall. So you got that's true. Yes, this one sometimes it says specifically one third of the stars fall, or you know, yeah, two thirds of the stars fall. Like, but this, this is one, all this is all a vision, right? Uh-huh. So it's not, it's not saying that all the stars are literally literally gonna fall it's like this is what he's seeing in his vision also the sky rolls up like a scroll and also that imagery is all from isaiah Mm. not just the nasty fig boys um but also the sky rolling up like a scroll like Mm -hmm. that's all it's all in isaiah um so as you mentioned this is you know kind of like okay this is the the start of the end of the world um that is a period of time that is known as the tribulation. Oh. Um, and when John of Patmos wrote this, he probably meant something more like the period when Christians were undergoing tribulations at the hands of the Romans mm-hmm. who were persecuting them. Nowadays, when people talk about the tribulation, they are talking about a period of about seven years at the end of the world where there's going to be all these Plagues and natural disasters. How did they decide on seven years? It says it says it'll be um, one thousand two hundred sixty days. Okay, which is approximately seven years. Cool, great answer. Um, And yeah, there's going to be all these disasters and stuff. Yeah, fun occurrences. Um, If you're cool things, yeah, none of them are fun. They're tribulating. They're the opposite of fun. If you're familiar with Revelation, mainly through pop culture, particularly the uh, Left Behind series of books and movies you may be wondering aren't christians supposed to get sucked up to heaven before this all starts there are two answers to that the first one is that because that's called the rapture when people get uh, sucked up to heaven okay i didn't realize this there actually is nothing in revelation about the rapture Hmm. it comes from first thessalonians chapter four when paul says For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever. So this rapture bit was written by a totally different person like 50 years earlier. Mm. 
but if you stick them together, <laughs> you can get this idea that people will get raptured before the tribulation. Right. Also, there's some people who believe in the rapture, but say that it'll happen like in the middle of the tribulation or at the end or whatever. Yeah, that's the kind of specificity about the end of the world that I like. Somebody's like, I've read the text very closely. And when the end of the world comes, we're going to be sucked up exactly 3.5 years in. Right. <laughs> and there's certainly nothing in here that's possibly ambiguous or mm -hmm. contradictory. So I've got it completely planned out. I know how much cat food to leave from my cat. Exactly, right. Um, I only need this much gold to get me through the first half of the tribulation. Yeah. <laughs> uh, four angels are now given the power to destroy the land and the sea. Let me just Google something quick. Will blockchain work during the tribulation? During tribulation. <laughs> uh, these angels uh, can't destroy things yet, though, because they have to wait until a different angel puts a seal on the forehead of like godly righteous people nice so it's kind of like you know the the blood over the doorway during passover except this guy's gonna go it, around with it's a facial tattoo with wax and a stamp and just seal people's foreheads and uh those people like won't be destroyed right like all everything that's coming all the bad stuff that's coming will pass over them mm -hmm. um it specifically says that 144,000 people will be sealed 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes of Israel. Mm -hmm. Now, I had heard that Jehovah's Witnesses believe, because of this verse, that only 144,000 people will go to heaven in total. And I was like, as I read this passage, I was like, I wonder if that's true or if that's just something people say because mm -hmm. they're like, oh, Jehovah's Witnesses are weird. They believe that only 144,000 people are going to heaven. And I was like, if only I had... A Jehovah's Witness to ask and then I was like wait there's 55 Jehovah's Witnesses at every BART station so earlier today <laughs> when I was taking BART I just stopped by uh, one of the Jehovah's Witnesses kiosks mm -hmm. and I was like hey um, so I was like reading my Bible last night <laughs> I didn't want to be like so I host a very blasphemous podcast I was, I was wondering like, if you could help me with some blasphemy <laughs> So I was reading my Bible last night and th there were two women and they were both like, oh, that's great. You know, like, <laughs> like immediately like, great start. Awesome. We're talking about the Bible. And I was like, you know, I was I was reading Revelation, you know, the part about the 144,000 people. And, you know, I heard that Jehovah's Witnesses think that only 144,000 people go to heaven. Is that true? And they were like, yes, that is true. That's in the Bible from that passage. However, the next passage is about, quote, a great multitude of people that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language. They're all in white robes worshiping God. Um, and that's like the rest of us. Right. And the rest of us apparently get to live on Earth in like Earth will be converted to like the Garden of Eden. Mm. And so every everybody who most Christians think of as going to heaven, uh, Jehovah's Witnesses think of them as they're just going to be on like this paradise earth forever. Right. Because at the end, spoiler alert. Um, Please don't spoil the end. <laughs> this has only been out for 2000 years. But so people may not might not have had the chance to read it. Yet. At the end, Jesus is given dominion over heaven and earth. Yes. So these 144,000 people get to be real special. They get to go up to like the upper realm where God's throne is. Right. But everyone else does get to live 
in paradise. Oh, there's also like a priority system that we'll talk about later. Yeah. That makes no sense. So basically, as you're saying, the martyrs, they get special passes. Yeah. Some people get special passes for different reasons. Right. And then there's 144,000 descended from the original tribes of Israel. They get to go to the heaven that was promised them. That's sort of like a contractual thing from a long time ago. Like God promised your... Yeah, that was in the covenant. Yeah. Everybody cut off their dick skin and can't take that back. No. You're going to heaven. That's right. These are like frequent flyer miles that were Mm -hmm. accrued using like a really old... Many millennia ago. Really old credit card that had like really advantageous rules and they can't legally like discontinue it. Yes. But then everybody else gets the new deal where you get judged for your actions when you get sucked up to heaven and set weighs your soul against a feather. Wait. Wait. Hades? No, wait. Anyway, that's what I learned from the J-dubs. At that point, they tried to close the sale and started handing me a bunch of literature and telling me where to go to the meeting. And I was like, great, great. Thank you. Um, In any case, the dead lamb with seven eyes configured somehow Mm -hmm. is now opening the seventh seal. First, there's silence. What if the eyes were just like in a ring around its butthole? Would you? What? Stop talking about Jesus's lamb butthole and his many eyes. <laughs> There's silence for half an hour when this seal is first broken. I think that's a nice little break. <laughs> you know, we've been seeing a lot of stuff. You could use a, a quiet half hour. There was a, the language in here is hilarious, too. After all of this, like, grand pronouncement about the end of the world and the horsemen coming and everything like that. What it says in the NRSV is. When the lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. For about half an hour. It's like he didn't have a watch. <laughs> he didn't have him, his like, watch. Yeah. He didn't have like his sundial or it's whatever. It's just so casual. Yeah. It's like, and then for about a half an hour, it was pretty quiet. Then seven angels with trumpets appear. And now we have to go through another list of seven things. And this is a, a pattern in this book. Every time you think that you're out of the game, they pull you back in with another list of seven things. Mm-hmm. So now we got to go through the trumpets. So when the first four trumpets blow, um, bad stuff happens to the earth. (laughs) This is all tribulation style. Yeah, there's a real pattern with all of these tribulations. Things turning colors they're not supposed to. Other things burning. Things becoming... uh, Men, men becoming wolves. Wolves, etc. I'm going to read a bit of this just to get some flavor. (laughs) I'm the, sorry, could you could you tell me again what we're getting here? We're just getting a little flavor. Some flavor. <laughs> the first angel blew his trumpet, and there came hail and fire mixed with blood, and they were hurled to the earth. They were hurled to the earth. I don't know who. I uh, guess the fire and blood? Yeah. Okay. And, and a third of the earth was burned up, and a third of the trees were burned up, and all green grass was burned up. Even though later it says specifically that the green Look, grass was not touched by any of the fire. looking at the vision. It's just what he sees in the vision at that moment. I, it's hard for me not to read just this. Just go as to a, the second trumpet. Stop talking about Jesus' butthole and move on to the second trumpet. You've now talked about Jesus' butthole more than I have. Would you shut up? <laughs> I'm sick of thinking about Jesus' butthole. Please just go to the second trumpet. I didn't force you to think about it. The second angel blew his trumpet, and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea. A third of the sea became blood, a third of the living creature in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed, etc., etc. Yes, a star called Wormwood falls out of the sky into the rivers that, like, poisons a third of the world's fresh water. That's awesome. Uh, One third of the sun, moon, and stars go dark, and this can all be interpreted in several ways. So, like, if you're looking at it in historical context... Maybe this mountain of fire represents the 
like might of the Roman Empire taking over the Sea of Galilee when mm-hmm. it, when it falls into the sea. Or a third of the Holy Land is taken and destroyed by yeah. the conquest of the Romans or whatever. Yeah. If you think this is a literal description of the end of days, maybe that's an asteroid that's going to hit the Earth and it's going to land in the ocean. A star called Wormwood is a really cool, really cool thing. Oh, yeah. That would be a great science fiction title. I bet it already is. Exactly right. Um, fifth trumpet. A fallen star receives the key to the abyss. This, this It's just the abyss with a capital A. This fifth trumpet must have been marked with a big like fu on it because this is this one is rough this one is very rough and also why is the abyss just like locked with padlock <laughs> you just like well, it's a magic key okay. baby it's a vision <sighs> he opens up the abyss and um all this smoke pours out and darkens the sky yeah and we know that abyss that's the stinky place right that's it's certainly similar it mm-hmm. doesn't describe breaking those seals though which it should because this would be a natural place to stick in another seven, seal breaking. Yeah, yeah, another seal breaking sequence. Also, out of here come locusts to torture everybody. Oh, that but these ain't your daddy's locusts. Doesn't have a seal on their forehead. Please describe these locusts for the listeners. Uh, the locusts, the locusts have the face of men. Yeah, they ha- They wear um, and women's hair. Women's hair. They have. Iron scales all over their body. They have scorpion tails. Yes. They walk upright. Wait, they walk upright? I think so. Dang, I missed that. It says they're um, they're wearing armor like battle horses. Right. um, Including iron. So I guess they don't walk upright if they're like battle horses. But whatever. Well, no, it just says they're wearing armor like Mm. battle horses. They could still be wearing armor. Well, then they'd be, whatever. Uh, Golden crowns and also their wings sound like horses and chariots going into battle. Um, The locusts are not allowed to kill people just torture them and it says during those days men will seek death but will not find it they will long to die but death will elude them i like that they were given exactly five months to torture them and that's not, enough to get the job done <laughs> you know it's like everybody knows the locusts have a contract yeah you it's know for five months the locust union mm-hmm. <laughs> they're not working a day over five months sixth trumpet um releases the four angels who have apparently been bound at the river Euphrates this whole time. Mm-hmm. And they send out 200 million mounted troops with lion heads and snake tails. Oh, that's the the horses, I mm-hmm. guess, have lion heads and snake tails. And they kill one third of humankind, but the remaining two thirds, uh, the ones who don't have the seal on their forehead, they somehow do not repent of their sins. I love this. These idiots, the rest of humankind who were not killed by these plagues, did not repent of the works of their hands or give up worshiping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood, which cannot see or hear or walk. And they did not repent of their murders or their sorceries or their fornication or their theft. Oh, mine, idiots. Instead of sorceries, mine has magic arts. Ooh. And throughout the book, it's always like, and the sinners who worshiped idols practiced magic arts <laughs> it sounds like magic. a major in college agreed like, yeah. a liberal arts school well, i majored in magic, magic arts. arts it's like oh yeah where'd that get you fucking working at barnes and <laughs> noble barnes and the other guy <laughs> now we're waiting for the seventh trumpets to be blown but we get interrupted by an angel another angel He's got a rainbow over his head. He's got a face like the sun. He's got legs like fiery pillars. Mm-hmm. And he is holding a, quote, little scroll. Um, and... I didn't name him, but he popped into your head. <laughs> <laughs> oh, baby, I'm so happy you're on Twitter now. Um, seven thunders 
say something, uh-huh. but uh, the angel doesn't let John write it down, so we don't know what they said. A great detail for any writer to include. And then what's great is that while delaying the seventh trumpet, the angel, quote, swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created the heavens and all that is in them, the earth and all that is in it, the sea and all that is in it, there will be no more delay. <laughs> like even his announcement that there will be no more delay mm-hmm. is extremely delayed. <laughs> um, and then the angel makes John eat the little scroll, which tastes like honey in his mouth, but which turns his stomach sour. You may remember that from the book of Ezekiel. Yeah, that was the last time somebody ate one of those tasty scrolls. One of those tasty. Oh, do you think it was flavored with mummy honey? Baby. I think you're absolutely right. I want our listeners to know that when we were in India, we went to like an old like British museum in India and we saw a mummy. In Jaipur, yeah, that there was a place that had a mummy. An Egyptian mummy. Just in the basement. That like the English had like looted from Egypt and abandoned in India and there was no honey at all. Not a bit of honey to be seen. And I was hungry <laughs> for that mummy honey. Um, there was like one guard. I could have taken him and getting a taste of that honey. No problem. But there wasn't any. It wasn't around. Nope. Not a drop. Now John gets a measuring rod to measure a temple, which also happened in the book of Ezekiel. Mm-hmm. Um, except that in Ezekiel, it was like 10 chapters detailing how many cubits wide each room yeah, of the re- temple was. You could really tell like which uh, prophet had, had sort of which proclivities. <laughs> Ezekiel was very like, oh, look at these numbers, man. Look at the, how many cubits is this? And John sort of like says a nerdy angel wanted to measure it, but he wasn't that involved in it. Yeah. Um, John instead is going to give us uh, two witnesses outside this temple, this this measurement temple. And um, the angel tells us that they're going to be prophesying and testifying God's holy truth at the end of days. And if anyone tries to harm them, they will breathe fire from their mouths and kill those people, right. kill their attackers. Um, but when their testimony is finished, a beast will come up from the abyss with the capital A and kill them. And their bodies will lie in the streets and everyone will laugh at them until three days later when they come back to life. And this is another one of these things that has been interpreted in different ways. It's, it seems unnecessarily complicated. Well, one... <laughs> One common view is that these two witnesses are Elijah and Enoch because those are the two figures in the Old Testament who were assumed into heaven without dying. Right. Um, Some people interpret it as a metaphor for like the two kingdoms of Israel or the Jewish church and the Christian church. Um, Obviously, Ichabod Crane and Abby Mills from the hit TV show Spoopy Hollow. Mm -hmm. Um. Is that still on? I don't know. But they were the two witnesses in that. Remember there was like Oh yeah. That was like, oh now we like shot the pumpkin guy. That was the first seal or whatever. I can't believe we watched as many episodes of I know, that as we, we did. We watched like three episodes of that. <laughs> it's really bad. Finally. Finally we get to the seventh trumpet. Ba ba da da. The twenty four Dude Dude Throne <laughs> Dude Dude. The twenty four throne elders. Sing a song about how great God's wrath is. Now he's going to smite everyone and it's going to rule real hard. God's temple in heaven opens. Lightning and thunder start raining down. And what happens next? You'll have to tune in after the break to find out. You don't need to tune in. You're, you're tuned right now. So stay tuned. Stay tuned. 
Stay tuned. Stay tuned. You're going to hear some music and we'll be right back with more Revelation. Revelation. Mm-hmm. Just a second. Goodbye. Okay, bye. Back to Sunday School Dropouts. I'm Lauren. And I'm Nico. And we're talking about the book of Revelation. Uh, when we left off, the seventh trumpet had just sounded. Finally. And now a woman appears. She is clothed with the sun, with the moon <laughs> under her feet, and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She's also pregnant and crying out in labor pains because she's about to give birth. Uh, who do you think that this might represent? Oh, I'll just say uh, God or something. I don't know. Who cares? <laughs> You're right. It's probably God and not the Virgin Mary, mm-hmm. the most famous pregnant woman in the entire Bible. No, that wouldn't make any sense. Um, as she's giving birth. The most famous pregnant woman in the entire Bible. <laughs> sorry. I didn't think that one through. I mean, are there other pregnant women in the Bible? Yes. There's Samuel's mom, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh there's uh that's what you call her when you go over to and like get sandwiches and hang out thanks samuel's mom (laughs) there's um multiple women uh who get their fetuses ripped out of them during wartime that's true anyway what happens to this pregnant woman who probably signifies the virgin mary is she as she's giving birth an enormous red dragon with seven heads and yet somehow ten horns Mm mm-hmm unevenly distributed horns um, is standing at her vag ready to eat the baby. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> just like, Ooh, I'm going <laughs> to eat me a baby. This dragon is explicitly labeled as Satan. So it's, it's definitely Satan. It says that right out. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I guess he's trying to eat Jesus. Right. Uh, because, you know, I guess it just symbolizes Satan trying to uh, conquer Jesus mm. in some way. Well, actually, you know what? Now that I think about it, the Judgment Day can't proceed without Jesus. And another spoily alert, even Satan is judged at the end of the Judgment Day. As soon as the baby is born, uh, God snatches him up into heaven. Mm-hmm. And the woman runs to a sort of sanctuary in the desert where she's going to stay for the length of the tribulation. And Is it kind uh, of fucked that, like... God snatches the kid and then Mary has to go live on Earth during yeah. <laughs> during arguably the worst time of all times to live on Earth. I mean, yeah, but if you look at like, if you think about it in terms of what literally happened is that like Jesus died pretty young mm-hmm. and went up to heaven with God and Mary was stuck on Earth. That's true. 
Michael and the other angels uh, battle the dragon and throw him out of heaven down to earth. And so now that he's on earth, he tries to pursue Mary again. Um, she might now kind of stand in more for the Christian church in general instead mm-hmm. of the Virgin Mary in specific. But she keeps getting divine help. So like she grows wings. Yeah, she grows wings and flies <laughs> away. Or then like a, a cave opens up and she hides in the cave. Mm-hmm. It's it's kind of like Greek mythology type stuff. Um, and then the dragon eventually just gives up. <laughs> well, the, the dragon gets frustrated and starts to hate fighting or hate pursuing Mary. And so he turns his attentions to other Christians. The Christians yeah, the that are that are easier yeah. to to chomp. Um, easier, easier Christians to crunch. Yeah. Now we get the two beasts getting into the real juicy stuff here, baby. Mm-hmm. The beast of the sea and the beast of the earth. So the beast of the sea. Oh, we've seen these boys before, right? Um. Not as such. Mm. You're it's thinking not, it's of, not Leviathan and Behemoth? No. Those are different beasts. Cool. These ones are more specific. So this one, the first one, comes out of the sea. It has, again, seven heads, but somehow ten horns. Uh, a crown on each horn. And each head has a blasphemous name written on it, whatever that means. Some of these seem like logic puzzles to me. You know, like, you have five friends that live on this block. Uh-huh. Three of them don't live next to... A person that lives in the same color house as them. One has a blasphemous name. <laughs> uh, this beast also has... How many has... of their names cannot be spoken? <laughs> this beast also has a leopard body, bare feet, and uh, lion mouths. Although I guess that there would be seven lion mouths. Mm-hmm. Um, It'd be funny if there was just one with a lion mouth. They would all make fun of him. You may recall that in Daniel, there was a vision of four beasts, which were a leopard, a bear, a lion, and a beast with ten horns. Mm -hmm. Um, So this is, you know, clearly drawing on Daniel. Those symbolized, like, Babylon and Persia and other kingdoms um, in Daniel that had ruled over Israel. Um, So this beast probably in some way represents a figure or group that is oppressing Christians. Um, Also, it says, one of the heads of the beast seemed to have had a fatal wound, but the fatal wound had healed... And, of course, if anyone has insight, let him calculate the number of the beast, for it is man's number. His number is 666. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the beast could be the Roman Empire in general. It could be a specific Roman emperor like Domitian or Nero. Mm -hmm. There's one theory. If you write Nero Caesar in Hebrew, the, like, numbers associated with the letters add up to 666. Really? Um, Is that true? It is true uh, that... Did nobody ever call him Nero Caesar or whatever? I don't know, really. Uh, <laughs> you know, it seems like it could be true, but still not mean anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and another thing I didn't realize, the book of Revelation never uses the word Antichrist. That's so, interesting. Although it, it apparently uses the word Christian more than any other book in the Bible. Well, that makes sense because it's written later. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's written specifically in a time when, like, it's like... The idea of being a Christian is better. Well, is like is, is cemented as yeah. like as against the Roman Empire, right. Empire and like as a group that's being persecuted. Um, so that that does make sense. But this beast is is what people commonly interpret as the Antichrist. So we saw the word Antichrist in the Johannine epistles, mm-hmm. first through third John, um, where it was just used to mean like anyone who opposes Christianity, right? Um, or, like, acts in a way that is opposite to Christ. But it wasn't, like, an individual figure. Right. But I guess just over the years, people adapted the term to fit this this beast. Um, and, of course, people are always 
Interpreting this beast slash antichrist in very interesting ways, uh, you know, the head of whatever government is in power uh, or the one world government that will be in power when Jesus returns. Uh, you may remember the This American Life episode with the basketball coach who tried to get these kids in like the end of days cult. Mm-hmm. And uh, they mentioned a Christian magazine that said a supercomputer in Belgium was the beast. Right. Uh Martin Luther and John Calvin said it was the Pope. Obviously, they were... Uh, it's pretty harsh. They were very actively breaking away from the Pope, so it kind of makes sense. Um, and the the dragon from earlier, the Satan dragon, puts this Antichrist beast in charge of uh, just like blaspheming, saying a bunch of bad stuff. Mainly saying rude things. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I love the idea that... You put a monster in charge of just, all right, you are going to try to say as many blasphemous things as You're just going to go out there possible. and be very offensive. <laughs> and I'd, I'd like your, you know, blasphemies per hour to exceed this Number, metric, yeah. you know, at least 75% of the time. And, you know, obviously there's some swing, but, like, I really need to see that number get really high up there. And he's like, trust me, boss, I got no, it. I got this. My number is 666. Um, he's also got to, like, persecute Christians and stuff mm-hmm. somewhere in there. Now, there's also the Beast of the Earth. Um, The Beast of the Earth gets less description. It just says that he has two horns like a lamb but speaks like a dragon. Uh, And he's basically a hype man for the Antichrist. And he just goes around getting everyone to worship the Antichrist. He uh, puts the mark on everyone's forehead or hand, uh, without which they are not allowed to buy or sell anything. And that is the name or number of the Beast, i.e. 666. Um, and this is where the surprisingly widespread idea comes from that at the end of the world, people are going to have barcodes on their foreheads or RFID chips on their foreheads or, uh, you know, stuff like that. And a couple people, this isn't very widespread, but it's more widespread than it should be. They take it way, way, way too far. And they think it's like social security numbers. Mm. And they're, they're like, oh, you got to live off the grid because like social security number is the number of the beast or whatever. Um, it probably originally meant just like you can't buy or sell anything without using coins minted by the Roman Empire mm-hmm. that have, you know, a picture of the emperor on them or whatever. Right. Um, but that's that's one that uh, made it way too far into pop culture. It really seems <laughs> in to my humble opinion, stimulate people's imagination, though, you know? Yes. In a way like this kind of prophecy specifically about the end of the world, I think really speaks to people in a way that some of the other prophecy in the Bible doesn't. Yeah, well, I think like when John of Patmos was writing this, Mm -hmm. he couldn't know that the ability to put a number on massive amounts of things would be like uh, such an important part of the future. Mm. Um, Especially when you're looking at it after... World War Two and seeing like mechanized death that involved putting literally like tattooing literally numbers, putting on people numbers on people. Yeah. And and mechanizing death in a way that had never been possible before and in a way that was just like unimaginably horrific. And, and a war that included the first use of atomic bombs, which also is as close as we've gotten to the end of the world. Yeah. I mean, you know? that's like a fiery mountain falling into the ocean or whatever. It's a star falling. Yeah. yeah. Um, So. It's kind of, it seems clear to me why this stuff was picked up in the modern era, mm. even though when John was writing it, it was probably, I mean, maybe it was even less interesting than like, oh, well, you got these 
this beast has seven heads. Isn't that crazy? You mm-hmm. know, like I could imagine people being more attracted to that than like, oh, yeah, everyone has a number on them, whatever. That could never happen. That doesn't mean anything to me. Right. Um, in any case, we got to do a brief check in with the 144,000 people. Yeah. How are they doing? Uh, they're doing great. And that's <laughs> there's just like a couple sentences and it's like they're doing great. I like that John John turns his head slightly and sees them on Mount Zion. Yes, yes, yes. Surrounding the lamb. <laughs> It is these also, the 144,000, who have not defiled themselves with women, for they are virgins. These follow the Lamb wherever he goes. They have been redeemed from humankind as first fruits for God and the Lamb, and in their mouth no lie was found. They are blameless. Congrats to them. Three angels appear. Um, one says, like, hey. Well, actually, before oh, we go on, yeah. doesn't that establish that the 144,000 are all men? And virgins also wait does it establish they're all men well it says these who have not defiled themselves with women so it doesn't oh, necessarily yeah. they could be women or men oh, yeah i guess <laughs> they could be as long as straight women... men and lesbians <laughs> well i mean actually so well, a, a but much they have to be virgins that they do have to be virgins yes so. well i'm glad we could work that out then three angels appear uh the first one says like worship god the second one says babylon is fallen the third one says, don't worship the beast or get the barcode or you'll go to hell. Mm-hmm. Some other angels are like harvesting the earth with sickles. Well, not just angels. One thing I found surprising, and maybe I was just getting confused in the text, but it seems like the first person that he sees uh, reaping with the big uh-huh. scythe is Jesus. Yeah. It says, then I looked and there was a white cloud and seated on the cloud was one like the son of man with a golden crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. Yeah, I guess that's Jesus. So I just don't get what the sickle is. Well, he's that, that's a, a handheld tool used to, used to <laughs> okay. cut wheat. Thanks. Thanks for explaining that to me. But that just seems like a, a more violent action than I would expect from, from the man himself. You know, you'd think that'd be something he'd dele- delegate. Delegate. Yeah. But yeah, I don't know. I didn't really get that part, so I just kind of skipped over it. Nice, nice podcasting. <laughs> That's what you're supposed to do when you read the Bible. Mm-hmm. I can tell you from many years of experience. Um, now we got to get to another list of seven things. Seven angels pouring out the seven bowls of God's wrath. So I've heard of, I had heard of the seals and the trumpets. Mm-hmm. Never heard of the bowls. Ah, so people, yes. don't, people don't make it to the bowls much? Maybe, yeah, maybe people kind of stop when they get to the 666 part and they're like, I think I've seen enough. I get the gist. <laughs> Um, uh, there are seven bowls of wrath, which are basically mm. like Moses style plagues. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's, there's, and I'm sure it's referring back to Moses yeah, yeah. intentionally. Yeah. There's a plague where, uh, everyone with the mark of the beast breaks out in painful sores, uh, turning water into blood, a plague of darkness, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Basically we all know how plagues work. Yeah. Things show up where they're not supposed to. Yes. They're the wrong color or they go away. Yeah. Exactly. Um, And again, this probably all had very allegorical meaning when it was written, but people like to interpret it very literally nowadays. Um, Three demons now show up and uh, they gather the kings of the world for the battle on the great day of God Almighty. And the place that they gather them is at, quote, the place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. Armageddon. So there is a mountain in Israel, named Megiddo. In Hebrew, the word for mountain is Har, so mm-hmm. it's Har Megiddo, which is corrupted into Armageddon. I have actually 
been there. Wow. I have seen the field where the final battle is supposed to take place. Is it surprisingly small? It's very small. <laughs> you think you could fit 200 million cavalry on No, there? definitely not. Okay. Um, you're like looking out at it and there's like, like a highway in the distance that you can see like trucks going back and forth and you're like, so this is it, huh? <laughs> I'm sure it was very impressive 2,000 years ago. Did you see the, the bunker where all the kings of the world will be whisked away <laughs> to plan for the uh, end of days? Um, no, but I do remember that it was very hot. Mm-hmm. It was so hot that like I, I had a water bottle, but the water got too hot to drink. Oh, no. And then we had to find like a like a tourist. We had to find like a little soda shop or mm-hmm. whatever and get get cold drinks refrigerated drinks okay so kings of the world if you're listening and you're planning for the end of days bring refrigerators a cool a nice cooler and a thermos insulated thermos at the very least yeah these are these are the kind of real world lessons you can get from studying the bible bible the bible bible now that the seven bowls of wrath have been poured out one of the angels finally gets to do what he's somebody's got to wash them right or something (laughs) No, this angel has just They just been... pile them in the sink like a bunch of fucking college boys. These are angels, okay? They don't need they don't do their own dishes. <laughs> Who do, well, it would just be other angels doing the dishes. Right? <laughs> Lower ranking angels. There seem do to the be dishes. angels for everything. Um but one of these angels finally gets to do what he's been itching to do, which is, quote, show you the punishment of the great prostitute who sits on many waters. With her, the kings of the earth committed adultery, and the inhabitants of the earth were intoxicated with the wine of her adulteries. Can I read the description of this of this woman? Please do. I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names. So that's, you know, the Antichrist. And it had seven heads and ten horns. Yeah. The woman was clothed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and jewels and pearls, holding in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the impurities of her fornication. Oh, yes. Mine had the filth of her adulteries. Ooh, I like that. I don't even want to know what's in there. I guess, like, mm-hmm. come in aborted fetuses, probably. <laughs> I wouldn't say that. <laughs> um, and on her forehead was written a name, a mystery, Babylon the Great, mother of whores and of Earth's abominations. And I saw that the woman was drunk with the blood of the saints and the blood of the witnesses to Jesus. Yes. Now, of course, we have seen many nations described as prostitutes or similar throughout the Old Testament, Mm -hmm. including Israel and Judah, uh, mainly when they worship idols because that's figuratively cheating on God with Molech or whatever. Um, In this case, the angel... Explains the symbolism in just enough detail to be, like, more confusing. More confusing. Yes. So he says uh, the woman is the great city that rules over the kings of the earth. And the beast's seven heads are seven hills the woman is sitting upon. Mm-hmm. So seven hills, probably Famously a reference Rome. to Rome. Says some stuff about how the horns are kings who have ruled and how many more kings are going to rule. That probably made sense at the time. Everyone was probably like... Oh, yeah, of course. He's talking about, you know, the Roman emperors and this many have and it's done like, whatever. It's like five are dead. Two are still living. One is yet to come. And one will be after all of those and will destroy all that has yeah, come before. Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. Whatever. And it's like yeah. somebody thought it was really clever at the time. Yeah. But now it just seems like unnecessary. <laughs> and, well, now it seems like you can fit it to whatever the hell you want it to mean. Mm, I guess that's um, good. That's good prophecy right yeah, there. Exactly. The angel also says that um, the beast... And the the kings that have been gathered up to fight it, Armageddon, will hate the prostitute and destroy her. And that's because 
Kings, God. kings of the world hate this one <laughs> crazy prostitute. One weird prostitute. That's because God wants to destroy her. Mm-hmm. And he's made the beast his instrument to accomplish this purpose. And in return, he lets the beast temporarily have power over the earth. That seems very unnecessary. God like, is God is working some like backroom wait, shit with he, the beast from why? the depths. He destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Why don't you just destroy Rome if you have a problem with it? Like, why do you have to have a third of the world like instantly dying of plagues or whatever? Like computer chips sticking out of their foreheads just to destroy Rome. Why you got to like empower the Antichrist? And nobody's going to complain if there are like eight trumpets in this batch and then one of them just deals with whatever you got to deal with. Yeah, yeah. Or just tack it on to one of the other trumpets. Just tack it on. Just put it in one of the bowls. Nobody even notices those. <laughs> Some more angels sing some songs about how Babylon has fallen. Mm-hmm. I mean, of course, we know, like, they're probably not literally talking about Babylon. They're probably talking about Rome. But we know from the Old Testament. Everybody's like, got a Babylon in their life. Babylon is a huge symbol in the Old Testament because, well, first it was literally the kingdom of Babylon did in real life take over Judah and Israel. Well, sort of Israel. Um, and... The like political elite were exiled in Babylon for six years. Temple. Yeah, they destroyed the first temple, and so that happened in real life, and then became obviously like an extremely potent symbol. Mm-hmm. And so, like you know, in the Book of Daniel, for example, it's not meant to literally be about Babylon, but like Daniel is always talking to Nebuchadnezzar or whatever, mm-hmm. and it's just he's it's the Jewish go-to, people go-to and, reference for the evil empire. Yeah, and yeah. Nebuchadnezzar is whatever whoever's oppressing the Jews at this moment in history, whatever. So, so here it probably is like a little literal in that it's saying like Babylon fell. Mm-hmm. Everyone else who tries to fuck with God's people will also fall. Mm-hmm. Looking at you, Rome or now, whoever, one world government or right. whoever, yeah, the UN, <laughs> Hillary Clinton. <laughs> um, some other angels are singing hallelujah. Uh, now, now another writer appears on a white horse. This is not conquest, though. This writer is called, quote, faithful and true, and also is Jesus. So he has blazing eyes. Uh, He has multiple crowns on his head. (laughs) Stacked crowns. (laughs) Just stacked crowns. Or maybe concentric crowns. He has (laughs) little nesting crowns. Mm -hmm. He has a name written on him that only he knows, presumably because it's like a name of God, which in Judaism, you're not supposed to write down the name of God. Mm -hmm. Um. His robe is dipped in blood. He has a sword coming out of his mouth. From, yeah, I don't get that. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. What? From his mouth? Yeah, yeah. Is he just holding it in his mouth? He's just got a sword coming out of his mouth. Just like always coming out? He's not clenching it with his teeth I or anything? I don't know. It's just, you know. Is it like floating in front of his face? I think it's just like a like a move. You it's know, a move. Like yeah. somebody starts to upset him and he just spits a sword at them? Yeah, it's like a video game, I think. I mean, it is like a video game. Specifically, it's like the Shin Megami Tensei series exactly. of Japanese role-playing games. I could totally games. pick, you know, Persona. I mean, all of these game. characters are from Shin Megami Tensei. You get a, get a sword coming out of their mm-hmm. mouth. I think it sounds perfectly normal. <laughs> I mean, compared to whatever else is in this book, it's whatever. Um, Reminded me of Gandalf, honestly. The White Rider coming in, oh, saving the day. I mean, Gandalf is likely a, a reference to this. I mean, he Tolkien. dies. he dies and comes back. Oh, yeah. He dies and comes back and wearing white the second time, as opposed right. to gray. You're right. Did I just blow your world wide open? This is you all didn't making know you sense were reading, now. You didn't know you were reading Christian <laughs> literature? No, I did. That's the problem. <laughs> um, 
Let's Didn't know see, you were reading else? Christian fanfic. The <laughs> armies of heaven are following this writer, and uh, on his robe and his thigh, mm-hmm. he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Why his thigh, I do not know. In the Old Testament thighs, we saw people putting hands under thighs to swear oaths. That's right. And it was like a euphemism for your dick. Mm-hmm. I do not know if we're supposed to think that Jesus has a dick tattoo. I, that sounds ridiculous, but but we're supposed to think he has a thigh tattoo? Like, I don't get it. Mm. Also, how is everybody getting such a good peek? Is I mean, his robes are just fluttering while he rides? Look, it's a vision, you know. The angel can zoom in, zoom just John's vision in. Zoom right into the thigh. Just like... It says thigh! Like No, I mean, I'm not... I'm not arguing with you. It simply says thigh. Mm-hmm. Then, uh, okay, it's like, okay, we got the fucking final battle at Har Megiddo. Jesus and the armies of heaven versus the beasts and all the kings that were gathered earlier. Mm-hmm. And then, like, the next sentence, it's over. <laughs> and then it's just like... They, um, they really take care of it quite quickly. The beasts immediately get captured mm-hmm. um, and thrown alive into a burning lake of sulfur. Uh, the Satan dragon gets thrown into the abyss and everyone else gets killed with Jesus' mouth sword uh, and birds gorge on their flesh. After after the battle, it says he seized the dragon, that ancient serpent who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. Yes. And threw him into the pit and locked it and sealed it over him so that he would deceive the nations no more until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be let out for a little while. Yes. Okay. This is very weird. So, okay. The battle is over. Our villains are defeated. The tribulation has officially ended. And now Jesus gets to reign on earth for a thousand years. And all the good people who don't have the mark of the beast get to live in this glorious kingdom for a thousand years. And then for some reason, (laughs) at the end of those thousand years, Satan gets let out of the abyss temporarily. He goes and gathers, quote, Gog and Magog Mm -hmm. to attack all the good people people of the world who are living in harmony i gog from the land of magog was mentioned as like a wicked idol worshiper in the book of ezekiel right um but here it seems to have morphed into a generic term for all the non-christians or something of the world and uh so like satan goes and gathers them and then of course they're immediately defeated again gog and magog are devoured by fire and the dragon satan dragon gets thrown in the burning lake of sulfur and that's all dealt with in like two sentences it's so confusing but i loved the casualness of the language it's It's just just like like, everybody knows once you lock up satan for a thousand years you must let him out for a little bit for a brief time Mm -hmm. yes but then he immediately just gets just gets fucked up in the next again yeah this is this is also the beginning of the separation between like you know platinum class and with quotation marks like platinum class christians who like get to rule for the first thousand years uh-huh. and then like the you know bronze class christians who get economy class yeah economy class christians who get judged after the next yeah. battle yeah, so it's interesting if you were looking at this from a purely like narratological standpoint you would think like you really want to zoom in on the battles those are going to be the juicy parts that everybody wants to read about if you're Tolkien, you know? it's going to be the battles and then the parts where they stay up late night the night before like singing, singing songs to each singing other. songs yes but like here, it's just like we got to go into hella detail about how many heads and eyes <laughs> each animal has. Mm-hmm. Oh, and there's like um, a, a cataclysmic huge, battle, a cataclysmic battle to that, decide the fate of uh, all humanity. Yeah, yeah, and that's like whatever. 
Um, <laughs> at this point, after Satan is defeated a second time, all the dead people who have ever died are resurrected, just like was uh, prophesied in many, many, many Old Testament books. This is a Jewish tradition that goes back thousands of years. Everybody's resurrected and they're all judged. If you've been good and your name is written in the book of life, you're cool. You get mm-hmm. to go to paradise. If you've been bad and your name is not in the book, you're taking a vacation to the lake of fire. Now we're getting to the end. John sees a new heaven and earth to replace the old heaven and earth. Something like that. Or they're transformed. Everything's better, though. Like yeah. all of the shitty stuff that happened to earth in the. Yeah, all the like burned up in the tribulation stuff is fine. And, now. Yeah, yeah. The stars are back in the sky, presumably. Also, in this new one, it says there's no ocean, (laughs) which I guess was a problem before. (laughs) I mean, we need it. Don't we need it for, like, oxygenation of the Earth? I mean, yes. Also, you would think that, like, it would seem convenient because you could travel by ship faster, right? You'd think that. But why would you travel if you're in heaven? I guess. You got everything you need or something. But maybe they were just like. You know what would be better if there was no ocean? Like, think about all that wasted All that wasted space. space. Yeah, you can't grow crops on or yeah, whatever. Yeah, we could be farming hops on it or something. Um, then the quote-unquote New Jerusalem mm-hmm. descends from heaven and uh, a loud voice announces that, you know, like now everyone gets to live with God in God's city and there's no more pain or death and everything's great all the time. An angel kind of shows John around this new holy city as you would expect, it's very shiny. It's compared to lots of uh, gems and minerals. So am I mistaken or does the angel describe the city as the bride of Christ, the wife of the lamb? Yes. I am mistaken. No, no, no. That is true. Okay. We're not mistaken. Is it weird that Jesus is marrying a city? Well, the bride of Christ is a um, name that's generally used to indicate the church, like the Christian church. I see. So um, here it's just kind of like here's everybody on earth and they're like in the church together and they're marrying Jesus. Got it. So like, he's marrying the whole city full of he's people. He's marrying humanity. He's not, he's not just marrying the city. Yeah. That's what it seemed like. It was that he was like, he's like marrying kind of into the all city. of Christians mm. collectively. City's weird though. Just like all of these prophecy cities, this one is made of gold that is as clear as glass. Yeah. Which doesn't make any <laughs> fucking sense to me. <laughs> If it's clear it's as very glass, advanced gold. How can you tell it's gold? <laughs> also, who cares? Also, it's got huge walls. And then a fucking another nerdy angel with a goddamn protractor. Oh yeah, we get some more measurements to measure here, it all yeah. out. Um, also, the river of life is flowing through the middle, much of like the, the apocalypse of Paul. Yes, that we read. And the tree of life is there. It's growing hella fruit. For all the to eat. all the gates. There are twelve gates, each one with a different gem in it. But also, the gates are giant pearls. Obviously. <laughs> Which I s- How else would you desire? Struggle to understand, but it's okay. <laughs> um Jesus makes a little cameo to be like uh I approve this message. Yeah, I approve this message. That's the best way to sum it up. And then the ending is amazing because John decides to conclude with the following sentiment. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds anything to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. Nice. And if anyone takes words away from the book of prophecy, God will take away from him his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. <laughs> so it's literally just like, oh, you're going to add words? Well, God's going to add you to plagues. <laughs> so eat that. 
I did notice that the book addresses an important uh, theological concern that I've heard brought up before mm. that What's I did that? not know that there was a definitive answer to in okay. the book, which is, do dogs go to heaven? Mm. Answer here, no. The dogs are explicitly outside the city gates. However, the dogs are uh, figurative dogs, literal sinners. But it's in the book, baby. Dogs don't get to go to heaven. Um, Is this a religion for you? Absolutely not. I would, however, direct you back to Ecclesiastes, which states canonically that we can't know whether animals go to heaven or not. I know. This is after, though. So, like, doesn't this settle the idea? But it's... Well, you should just be Jewish, I guess, not... Yeah, I guess guess it's time for me to convert to Judaism. (laughs) (laughs) Because then I can believe that animals might go to heaven. Well, you can... can, I have some crazy news, but you can believe animals might go to heaven and not be either Christian or Jewish. I believe that only animals go to heaven (laughs) and humans all go to hell. That's the last book of the damn Bible. We did it. We read the entire fucking Bible. We've read one Bible. We've read an entire whole ass Bible. Mm -hmm. Shall we rate this book? The Bible? The Revelation book. We should rate Revelation, but we should also rate... You want to rate Bibble? The rate the good book. Oh, my God. Okay, okay, okay. Revelation first. Yeah. How would you rate Revelation? I think we're going to give it 105,000 out of 144,000 <laughs> saved souls. Okay. Uh, it's it's great. I mean, it's, uh, it's a bizarre book of prophecy. The imagery goes way over the top. It uh, lacks a lot of internal consistency, so that's a problem. <laughs> um, it, uh, it does some things that no other books in the Bible seem to do, like give specifics about the end of the world and about how people are going to be judged. We saw well, we get some of that in, in some of the prophets in the Old Testament. Some of that in the, in the Old Testament. Certainly not in this much detail. Not in the, and not in the New Testament, not Christian flavor. That's true. Christian style. <laughs> um, New from Lay's, Christian style potato chips. I love the imagery. It's obviously had a, an outsized impact on culture and thought and art about the Bible mm-hmm. because of the craziness of, of the imagery. Um, so I got to give it cred for that and it's got some nice nice humorous little touches where the language gets <laughs> unintentionally s- humorous touches it's strangely casual it's a it's a good read i mean it it's not it's definitely a good read not nearly as dull as some of the other ones even including frankly some of the other apocalyptic prophecy stuff yeah we did get pretty bored with some of that apocalyptic prophecy back in the old testament it got pretty dull i am similarly going to give it 4.5 out of 7 Seals, trumpets, and or bulls of wrath. Mm-hmm. Um, it is fun to read. And I do like, I think it's like, it's a testament, no pun intended, to the strength of the imagery that it's become so embedded in pop culture. Mm-hmm. At the same time, the ways that it is currently embedded in pop culture are extremely toxic mm. or... um at least largely extremely toxic. Um, I mean, you know, if we're talking about like Sleepy Hollow or like <laughs> Supernatural or whatever. Right. Not that, so concerned about that. That's fine. Yeah. Um, but like people, you know, there's like millions of Americans who are actually raised to believe that this is imminent right. and that like there's going to be an Antichrist who's going to put 
chips in all your bodies. And yeah. that's like a very real bad thing, <laughs> you know, that because it leads to behavior that doesn't respect the fact that this is a plural world, you know. And not only that, but just like, I mean, when I think about how how difficult it was for me as a child to fear hell, mm-hmm. but I didn't grow up. I mean, like I grew up like thinking, oh, you know, the second coming will happen and it'll be something like the book of Revelation. But my church didn't take that, you know, super literally. Um, but I've heard from plenty of people who like they wake up early as a child. It's silent. And they're like oh shit, everyone else got raptured and I got left behind. Mm-hmm. You know, like to, to to force that on children is so terrible and so harmful. Um, of course, that's not the fault of this book, right. you know? Like that is not what the author of the book was going for <laughs> and it's not how the book was interpreted for like literally, you know, a thousand years. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just gotta, you know, I just gotta be me. I gotta say my truth. And my truth is, some of this shit is fucked. I appreciate you. I appreciate you. I appreciate you. Thank you, darling. <laughs> I say it three times to ward off evil spirits. <laughs> of course. Which leaves us with one final book to rate. God. There's simply one book left that we haven't rated. I don't. I don't know. I don't know if I can give it a rating. Okay. But I will say, like, I can definitely discuss how this project has affected me so like i grew up reading the bible in like isolated chunks Mm -hmm. didn't get a great like big picture idea of it got a really granular picture of certain specific things Mm -hmm. um and the two main things that i think i've taken from reading the bible like this and thinking about it deeply as literature and as history Mm -hmm. and as culture the first is that I love reading texts from like 3,000 years ago where humans are just like, they're humans. They're just making the same mistakes that we are. Yeah. yeah. And like, Jehu drives like a madman. Right. Th- like, that someone could drive like a madman in like 500 BC, you know, mm-hmm. and that, or people getting mad because they're like, oh, this prophet won't give me a good prophecy. Like, he has it in for me. That's, I love finding humanness throughout like just like reaching 3000 years into the past and finding that I can relate to these people mm-hmm. and that we we have these universal things in common the other thing that was so surprising to me was reading through the gospels and seeing how physical Jesus is mm. because i associate christianity and i think most people associate christianity with like wanting to punish and escape the body and and sexuality is sinful and physical pleasure is sinful and like this world is fallen and base and sinful and we really need to live for heaven when we won't have these disgusting human sacks of flesh you mm-hmm. know and obviously we saw that in a lot of gnostic texts but also in regular canonical texts you know like first peter calling it the the tent of this body or sure. Um, People being obsessed with how clean their robes are. Yeah. And so super interesting to me was to see Jesus, how physical he was. Mm -hmm. He was touching lepers. He was letting, you know, the sinful woman wash his feet. He was criticized for 
eating and drinking. And he made like eating and drinking the central ritual of Christianity mm-hmm. that I was like, Oh my God, like Jesus loved humans. He loved our stupid bodies and he wasn't afraid of them. Obviously I don't really believe in Jesus per se, whatever, but I was so surprised to find that in the Bible. Mm. Um, and I, I loved that. That made me like really able to appreciate like the, the, fictional figure of Jesus, you know, as like a literary character. Totally. Um, so I guess overall I would say that I really fucking learned some shit about the Bible and I really feel like I have made peace with my religious past in a significant way. Like, I can go up to a Jehovah's Witness now in the BART station and be like, hey, tell me what you believe. You know, I, I read this verse and I wasn't sure. I didn't want to, like, you know, assume anything. Whereas two years ago, I was looking at those same Jehovah's Witnesses in that same BART station being like, oh, my God, these fucking assholes trying to push their religion on me, like trying to shove their religion down my throat. Haven't I had enough of that in my life? Fuck you. Mm-hmm. And now I can just be like, hey, I've read that text. I think it's interesting in a lot of ways. I would like to hear something that you believe about it, you know? Mm-hmm. That's my that's my Bible review. That's a great review. How do you feel about Bibble? I mean, as you very eloquently said, the most amazing parts of the experience were connecting with historical people thousands of years ago through, like, small things. But what it also helped me do in a big way was connect with religious people today because I was not raised religious and that's one of the foundations of the show. Mm -hmm. But I also didn't, I had friends, I guess, who were religious, but not very many. Yeah. And I don't think we ever talked about religion. So I just really did not have any insight into what it meant or what it felt like or what it was like to be religious at all. Um, what it was like to look to a text like this for inspiration or for for sucker or for for suckers more like mm-hmm. <laughs> but it was illuminating to me to sort of combine the historical and contemporary angle how a lot of the people in the text and it seems like a lot of people contemporaneously suffer from the same sort of insecurities that are being like that are trying to be mitigated by the text. Mm-hmm. You know, there, it's like in the Old Testament, it was like, you are special. Life is tough, but there's a, a reason to it. And it's because you were chosen. You know, you mean something because you come from someplace. And it's like it, it's 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 like a, a balm to somebody who feels like they're completely insignificant. Mm-hmm. Which is something I can appreciate. You know? <laughs> sure. Or any, I think anyone can. Yeah. Um, and in the New Testament, it's 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 a lot of the same stuff. Like Jesus died for your sins. Like it doesn't matter who you are. Like you are special because if you acknowledge it and you appreciate it, like you're connected to God. You're himself. good to go. Yeah. yeah. Like you have a purpose because you've been, you know, you've been saved already if you if you acknowledge it. And I I don't know that. I guess I never appreciated properly how. A text like this and religion in general 
could provide, and this may sound super obvious and stupid, but like could be so much about giving you the things that you need in your life, you know, and like addressing your, your insecurities or your problems or the difficulties that you're experiencing. Yeah. And again, that may sound super obvious, but it was, it just didn't, it never struck me until I read the Bible and talked a lot about religion, like what the point of it was. And I think I understand what the point of religion is now. Yeah. That's cool. I, I never did. And I feel like I have a much stronger empathy for religious people now. And I think like before, like you were saying two years ago, you would have never engaged with the Jehovah's Witness people because your experience re- with religion turned into like a personal uh, vendetta. A, a, aver- <laughs> yeah, like a vendetta, a personal aversion yeah. to, to anything religious. But like I just didn't have a good common ground, like point of empathy really with religious people. I don't think I didn't think I have had any way to relate to the religious experience. And I can say that I do now. Yeah. I can also say confidently it's still not for me. Yeah, I'm still definitely an atheist. And that's another thing is that like, as I mentioned, I think on our Luke episode, it's been one of my great fears that I will like return to Christianity. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And now I feel, I just feel so at peace, like, oh, I'm definitely not returning to Christianity. Like, I've I've looked at it in depth mm-hmm. and I can appreciate what's good about it and I'm still definitely an atheist and that's the end of that. So that's that's my rating of the good book. The good book, I would say overall was good. Not bad. Simply a good book. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, on that note, shall we finish our season finale off with a bit of mail? I think we should finish it off with one mail. Two males, actually. I think we should finish it off with two males. One male and one female. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Our listener Graham, a, quote, distant heathen Australian, sent us his tuxedo cat Timothy to curse. Here's a curse for Timothy. He, too, will drink of the wine of God's fury, which has been poured full strength into the cup of his wrath. He will be tormented with burning sulfur, and the smoke of his torment rises forever and ever. Sorry, Timothy. That one <laughs> is extra harsh. There's a lot of harsh curses in this book. Uh, Blake Chastain, our former guest and host of the podcast Exvangelical, needs a blessing for his dog Dumis, or Dumi, perhaps, who is very sick at the moment. So here's a blessing. The lamb will be his shepherd. He will lead him to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from his eyes. Oh, I gunk. It's a dog <laughs> thing. Aww. So that's it. That's our season finale. That is the end of season two, end of the ding-dang bibble. Just a reminder, we'll be back with more Bible, all the different ways that it can be done without yeah, actually reading ways. the Bible. Very different ways. We also want to thank all of you so much for sticking with us and for enjoying the show. Without your contributions and your enthusiasm, the show simply would not be the same. We just can't say how much it has meant to us to hear from so many of you. I've said this before, but when I left religion, I felt like, you know, that I had no community. Mm-hmm. And now I feel like I have this community and there's this community of people who are ex-religious or just see religion in a somewhat different way. And that's so meaningful to me, I can't even explain. So thank you, everyone, just from the bottom of our hearts. Thank you. Thank you. The show will be back in a little bit. We can't give you a, a super firm date right now. We got some big life changes happening. 
Oh, yeah, we're moving to New York also. <laughs> I'm getting my brain put in a robot body. <laughs> finally. It's been something I've been thinking about for a long time. And the procedure is 100% fatal. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it'll be a good time, though. <laughs> Trust me, my podcasting efficiency will be, <laughs> frankly, off the charts <laughs> once I got this new robot body going. Anyway, you can follow us on Twitter at SunSchoolDrop. Follow us on Facebook at the same URL. Lauren is on Twitter at SlurneyO'Neal. <laughs> yep, that's the one. And Nico is at Sneeko Snackulich. Big thank you, as always, to Elise Carlton for our logo and original art. Still the best part of this damn show. And, of course, thank you to Nico for our sound engineering, editing, and so much freaking original music over these past few years. It's been my pleasure, baby. Uh, we'll see you real soon. I promise it'll be on Sunday, um, but I can't promise I'll look good. <laughs> <laughs> well, you'll be in a, in a shiny metal robot body, so... You're right. Actually, I can promise that I will look damn good. I think you'll look amazing. As long as you're into shine. Uh, if you want to email us, contact at sundayschooldropouts.lol, not .com, .law. .com is the place where you go if you don't like shine on your robot body. <laughs> That's all we have for you. See you on Sunday. Goodbye. Hello.